everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the My Minds podcast. Today is the 2021 Eating Disorders Awareness Week special, and what an episode we have. We're here with Hope Virgo, the author and award-winning mental health campaigner, and Mark Taylor with 25 years' experience in eating disorder services. If you have an eating disorder, if you work with people with eating disorders, or if you just want to learn more about eating disorders in general, this podcast is going to be brilliant for you. I really hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Maya Minds podcast. Here today, we have a special edition for Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And for a special edition, obviously, I have two very special guests. First of all, I have Hope. Hi, Hope. How are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, good. Yeah, I feel like I always need to have a really good answer to that at the moment. <laughs> but being in lockdown, there's not much has changed. I think I think good is just a good answer. I think like you know if you are doing if you are doing good then that's that's an excellent answer at the moment. Oh. It's such a tough time for people as well. I think it's that's, that's all we can ask for. Um, and also I'm here with Mark. Mark, how are you? I'm doing really good, thanks, George. No problems at all. Awesome, awesome. Thank you both of you so much for coming on today. I'm really excited. And I was saying to Mark before Hope came on, I'm actually a little bit nervous. This is my first time doing a three-person podcast. And you know, the the hands are a little bit shaky, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna go through. And I, I know you're you both are excellent speakers, so I'll be fine. I'll just listen. <laughs> so to start off, um, I wanna ask you, Hope. Um obviously this is the eating disorders awareness podcast and we want to talk about eating disorders and um you know mark's got such an expertise in in the you know, patient services and, and hope i know that you are have a huge interest in and in knowledge about it as well um i want to know first to hope can you explain to everyone listening your personal experiences with in and out patient services uh, yeah, no, definitely so my first experience of uh treatment was Oh, like 13 years ago. Um, so I had kind of struggled with anorexia for about four years at this point. And eventually um, my school contacted my mum. I then went to my GP and it was, it was quite interesting actually. And looking back, it was, it was ridiculous kind of the next couple of weeks, but at the time it didn't really bother me. So I went to my GP and they asked me a load of questions. They gave me some random kind of herbal medicine um, did a couple of blood tests, um, kind of sent me on my way. And my mum just wasn't happy about it. And it got to the point after about kind of three weeks of going for these appointments that um, my mum was like really kind of like just being really direct with the GP and being like, actually, something's not right. She needs some extra support. And I think my mum ended up writing my referral letter for the GP because he was too busy to do it. Um, and she then got him to sign it. And then she then got like posted it for him. And on that same day, I remember driving uh, to Southmead Hospital and taking my blood test that I'd had that morning. So that they were in like before the weekend, basically. Yeah. Um, but after that, I then did get a, like a referral through, um, went for my first appointment. 
And in that appointment, I was I was just terrified, if I'm honest. I think for children um, and adults as well, but particularly for young people, when you go into mental health services, it's really, really scary. And mm. even though more and more people are talking about mental health nowadays, there is still just so much stigma around it. There's a lot of um, fear. There's a lot of judgment. People afraid of being labeled, all of this sort of stuff. And mm. I was so nervous about that all happening that I ended up, just hiding exactly what was going on from everyone around me and um once I'd yeah I guess after that initial appointment and began to gradually open up so much more um I things slightly looked up maybe but it definitely took kind of the next six months where I I struggled still to be honest with everyone kind of lied an awful lot in my sessions mm. um and yeah, just didn't really feel like I connected with the guy who was doing the therapy either, actually. And I think looking back, that was another frustration in itself, um, being offered a man to talk to. I'd been sexually abused as a child, so didn't really feel that safe in the room um, as well. Um, so yeah, I spent six months there and then ended up going into inpatient treatment um, as well, which again was like a whole other ball game. Yeah, I think I think the, that kind of... Um fear that you talk about when you when you first go into the doctor about your mental health is something that a lot of people um, will resonate with and, and I, I personally do resonate with and uh, you know go first talking about having an eating disorder myself uh, is it's a terrifying thought and um, Mark I'm wondering if um, you know obviously you're you're a lot of time I've been on the other end um, you know is there is there a nervousness for you as well or you know how does how does it feel for yourself? Uh, well, George, I think I, I'm in the fortunate position that I have been working with eating disorders for a very, very long time. And so um, personally speaking, I, I'm quite confident when it comes to working with with eating disorder patients. Um, uh, but I do. But just listening to what Hope was saying there, I think part of the part of the difficulty, I think, is that there are there are professionals, frontline professionals that maybe haven't necessarily had so much experience in meeting uh, young people or adults with eating disorders. And, and I think also, you know, if you go to your GP, GPs have got a very finite amount of time. They're under massive amounts of pressure to see so many patients during the day. And I think that's just that kind of aligns the planets in a way for maybe the first the first uh, experience of somebody going to the GP for the first time to talk about their eating disorder. To, to, it's a bit of a recipe that maybe kind of is not going to work in some ways, because the one thing that I know of having people come to me for the first time, it takes a long time to engage and a long time to settle somebody in to the appointment in order to just feel you know, that feel the safety and the containment of it. And sometimes that can take maybe even more than one session before you actually get into talking a little bit more about what's happening for that person. And so I, th I don't think it's it's in any way, you know, I'm not, I'm not kind of sort of being negative towards GPs, but I just think that the system is set up in such a way that they've got maybe eight or 10 minutes to make a decision or a judgment about what's happening for 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 the patient. Um, and I think I, I personally don't feel that's in any way enough time for somebody to feel comfortable enough to maybe share that with a GP for the first time. Um, I yeah. think that's maybe difficult. Um, yeah. I completely agree with that. I think, and I think particularly with eating disorders, there is so much shame wrapped up in it. And often we, we normalize what we're going through. So I know for me, when I relapsed um, a couple of like back in 2016, actually I went to the GP and I knew what I needed 
but it took a lot to go there and be really honest and be really kind of matter of fact about it. But the way that I presented myself was in a way that I probably didn't, well, I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, which is a classic, a classic thing. Um, but also I presented myself in such a way that actually I probably looked like mentally I was doing really well. Mm. And I think that's the other thing, isn't it? When we, when we do go to the GP and we share that, GPs often have a bit of a misconception around it. And I know I've done a lot of work actually um, over the last year with people with binge eating disorder. And I'm by no means an expert in binge eating disorder, but actually what I kind of heard from people was that quite often they'll go to the GP and they'll start to kind of talk about their eating a little bit and they'll just be told to go on a diet, maybe to go and do Weight Watchers. And it kind of just fuels that guilt and that shame. And yeah, like Mark, like definitely not trying to, I guess, blame GPs for that. I think it's the problem with the system. It's very broken. And there's, they have so many kind of needs and everything like that. It's a whole, it's a whole minefield. But I definitely think that actually when it comes to that first kind of frontline interaction, we need to be making sure that people have that space. And whether that is extending that appointment or asking someone to come back the next week, just so that you can properly understand what actually they're going through and how they're feeling. And I think again on that is, particularly at the moment, I think we live in a culture where we normalize disordered eating. And it means that when you go to your GP and you say, oh, I'm a bit concerned about my eating habits, or I'm concerned about my exercise, it's, it's kind of like, do I actually have something the matter with me or is what I'm doing totally normal? I don't know if that's something that you've seen, Mark, as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I see young people because, as, as I say, um, just to put my work in a bit of a context, I work with an child and adolescent mental health team and I and I have done for a very long time. And and oftentimes, you know, I can have young people step into my appointments and they, they're not sure themselves what's happening and they don't know how to put what their experiences that they are going through into words. And sometimes, um, as I was saying before, about two or three appointments, sometimes I think as clinicians, we have to be curious and I think we have to put ourselves in the position of, of exploring the difficulties together with the, with the person. And in all, it's almost like you jointly build a jigsaw puzzle together. You get these little bits of information, then you have to kind of work it through. And so I wonder whether that is a misconception that, that um, there, is, there is an expectation that if somebody's going to the GP or to a service with an eating disorder, that I think there may be a misconception from, from professionals that that person actually understands and knows what's going on with them. You know, because mm. I guess, you know, in, in some ways, GPs, if somebody goes in with a physical complaint, they're able to describe it. So where is the pain? How what does the pain feel like? Is it dull? Is it sharp? Um, but but many, you know, more often than not, when I've met with with people with eating disorders, they they know that something's wrong, but don't necessarily aren't necessarily able to label it in the way that they would be able to do other illnesses. And I think that that is really crucial that people understand. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree 100%. And I think especially um, Hope mentioned there about binge eating disorder, um, that that the confusion comes, I personally have I had binge eating disorder, and I've experienced it for a, for a while. Um, I think a big part of there's that first of all, that confusion of, of, you know, am I just eating a lot of food? Like people always talk about eating a lot of food, like, you know, so maybe it's just maybe I just have some cravings. Or, you know, for me, it was a cheat day, you know, when I in inverted commas there, but um, 
you know, you kind of, you start to normalize it yourself and you're not even sure if it's wrong. And then that coupled with the shame of, you know, a, a lot of people who have binge eating disorder talk about the idea of this disassociation from themselves that they have this kind of bad, I used to always say to my counselor, I have a good George and a bad George. And the bad George is the one who stuffs himself and binge eats and doesn't exercise. And then I have this good George that I show to everyone and put on this display, like you were saying, hope this um, persona of, you know, confidence and I'm doing great and I'm, I look good and I'm, you know, I'm fine. I've, I'm all good. And then going into a room with a doctor who you've never met before, you don't know much about them. And um, you never had that, that conversation with them. And then just being that you're, if, if from the doctor's end, they expect you to just be like, yeah, so this is how it works. This is how I feel. This is what I think about. And this is why it's wrong. And I need your help. It can be, you know, it's, it's really kind of, um, there's something wrong there. Like there needs to be some kind of, um, pathway into it. And I know that's obviously very difficult. And if only people like yourself, Mark, were everywhere and people with that level of expertise in eating disorders, but it can't, it's not happening at the moment and hopefully it will in the future. Um, but this kind of leads me on to my, my question. We spoke a bit about it here. Um, but Mark, obviously you've worked in eating disorder services for a long time. Um, are there like, uh, including the barriers we spoke about just, are there any other barriers that you feel are very common with patients? Um, I'm glad. I'm, I mean, when you asked me this question, I thought, wow, there's so many different ways in which I can answer this. Um, but I think, I think looking at it, yeah, great question, George. <laughs> um, I think I've, I've spent a lot of time sort of thinking about this and, and where I see some of the barriers. I think, I think part of the issue is that the, the uh, for, for a person to actually go from first mentioning anything that they have a, a difficulty or they're wondering whether they've got an eating disorder and they, they're wondering whether they want treatment. There's so many links in the chain there, I think, of different professionals to, to go through to actually act before you actually get to your eating disorders teams. For me, there the, the can be barriers in that, I think, for, with regard to different levels of training, different levels of expertise, different levels of, of opinion. And I think, Hope, you, was, you were saying that really kind of if sometimes when you, um, when you uh, go to talk to a professional, they can have a particular view on it as saying, oh, well, this isn't, this isn't eating disorder. Maybe what you need to do is this. As I say, I, I just flinched when you said you were you sent away with some kind of herbal remedy that just... Wow. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's, that's part of the difficulty I think is that there's so many different links in the chain um, and there's varying levels of training and expertise in those different links in the chain. It's I'm hearing stories from families that it's almost like they have to become their own expert in a way. Um, and I'm hearing families talk to me about, well, actually what I had to do was I had to explain it to this professional that I was sat in front of. And I think so, so training, I think is one huge issue. Now I know there's a lot, of work that had on through the UK with regard to training. And there are some professionals out there that are, that are massively skilled and throwing everything at it as far as training and, and improving their teams. But I think, um, I think part of the issue at the moment is there's been such a massive increase in demand for eating disorder services. T teams and services just can't keep up with demand. And I think, and I think that's a potential barrier because if, if somebody is actually, uh, I get, if a person is experiencing an eating disorder and is and has actually taken the time to get has taken their time to become brave enough to to actually say something because you know it can take months or years even before somebody opens up and feels I need to share this with somebody if the if the person that they are then first meet with doesn't really understand it i i wonder how many um, how many people have actually just stopped at that point and not progressed 
and and kind of gone forwards for treatment. And so I think you know that that initial contact I think needs to be massively important that that works and goes right because it can really colour I think the the journey then onwards for. Um, anybody that has an eating disorder um, because it's such a I think that it's such a, a fragile time to disclose that for the first time that that really needs to go right so for me it needs to start right at the beginning whoever it is that they access be it somebody in school be it a GP you know if it's a self-referral through to a service wherever that person goes for that first contact my thought is that that needs to be that needs to be right and so it kind of emphasizes the fact that you know eating disorder knowledge isn't just about uh, you know one particular discipline or professional we need to get the word out and get everybody to understand that actually if somebody comes to you and they talk about this it may even be that the level of experience is such that you say i know this is complicated and i know i don't necessarily have the skill i will support this person to go here with this and i think it's always about thinking about how we can get the person to the to to somebody who can actually support and help them I think that's really massively important. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Hope if you have anything to add there. I do think the training is an issue, and I wonder whether, in some cases, because we know that services are so overstretched right now, that actually maybe it is just a language thing as well. Um, so if someone if someone presents with an eating disorder, maybe telling them they're not thin enough to have an eating disorder isn't the best way to go about it. And I think actually that language stuff is something that's so easy to implement. And it would take, yeah, it would take like 10 minutes for someone to just have a bit of a rundown of these are the do's and don'ts, this is our suggestion, this is how to approach it. And I think Mark's, again, hit the nail on the head with it. It is about, it's about just being curious, like taking the time to give that person the space to be really heard. And I think, again, it's with eating disorders, we we often forget that they're mental illnesses because they have the physical components that go alongside it. And actually when people are struggling, more it's because they're not heard and they're finding a way to deal with their emotions so I think if we start to just open up that as a bit of a lifeline to them actually that will really really help mm. yeah and it reminds me when 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 you both talking it reminds me of there's a um a video that's been made by some of the staff at Nottingham University a team that I'm working with at the moment and they they made a video for GPs and you can get it on you can get it on YouTube I think it's called um eating disorders in men and boys or men and boys eating disorders something like that and it's made by the helm team h-e-l-m and they basically made a video of people's lived experiences um being a man and coming into the eating disorder service and one one comment that always sticks out to me whenever i watch the video is one of the guys says um my gp said that they didn't know enough and they were going but but what they were going to do was look up more ask someone else who knows more about it it that can even be the response is you know what i actually don't know that much about eating issues and eating disorders and i'm i'm sorry um but what i'm going to do for you is i'm going to research more and then we can talk about it and i'll know more about it i'll know where what to do how to help you and i think that honesty is so important too i, th- I think that really is because none of us that work in the professional field are going to know everything about everything that somebody brings to us. But I think it's something, but the one thing that we can all do is we can demonstrate that compassion, that curiosity and honesty. Um, And so I think you, you, again, George, you've, you've really hit it there, which is 
you know, and, and I would offer this out as advice to any professional that has anybody that co or anybody at all that has somebody come to them with, re with regard to an eating disorders is if you're not sure, be honest and say so, because I think that's much better than trying to, I guess, fit the patient inside the knowledge that you have or to fit them into a framework of belief that you have as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that curiosity, that honesty, I think is really, really important. Mm. Yeah. Um, so a question to both of you, I suppose, I suppose, hope you have something um, kind of glaringly obvious here to talk about, but um, you know, what, what, is there anything that in particular needs to be done to improve the services? And, and if so, what? Yeah, so I think for me, it's probably, I'm like, I can think of a couple of things. <laughs> I probably focus on maybe two things, um, just because I don't want to yeah, go off on a massive tangent and a massive rant about stuff because this obviously isn't my therapy session. So, <laughs> um, yes, the first thing I, I do think that eating disorders, like I mentioned a moment ago, is still we're still so fixated on that physical component of it. And I have a campaign called Jump the Scales, which is all around educating people on this. It's not just about educating GPs, but it's about actually educating the entirety of society so that society knows that you can be any size, any shape to have an eating disorder. And for me, it's, it's, it's been really important actually working on this. I think at the moment, it's like 6% of people who have an eating disorder are actually underweight which is like a tiny percentage of the amount of people that are struggling. And obviously when we think about eating disorders, there are so many kind of stereotypical images on our head and it stops people reaching out for that support, stops people thinking they deserve that support. And particularly with eating disorders, because they're so competitive, again, it kind of, kind of I guess, quietens people and puts people into that shameful mindset around it. So. The campaign is all about um, education, so kind of educating all frontline staff on eating disorders. It's also about making sure that when someone presents to their GP, the GP doesn't turn them away by saying, you're not thin enough, you're not underweight, you don't look like you have an eating disorder, but they, they frame it in such a way that the person does feel heard, they feel understood. And I think sometimes, like we've just said, it's all about the honest conversations with people. Like we all know there's funding issues at the moment and that isn't the fault of the NHS. It's just the reality right now. And I think sometimes just by being honest with people, it really helps. Um, and then most recently with the campaign, we're also looking at actually how we can make sure the research is out there so that people can actually make that full recovery. I think so often with eating disorders, we all talk about the stats around how it has the highest mortality rate, how it, like a tiny percentage of people recover. But actually I, I do believe that people can fully recover from an eating disorder and with the right support, with the right intervention. And I think that we need to be moving away from that kind of scaremongering idea that you can't recover and empowering people to make those decisions as well. Um, and then I think the other thing that's really important that I kind of want to pull out as well um, is actually all of that kind of public health messaging at the moment. And we see like every single day, all the time, we're seeing just really, really dangerous messages out there. And that isn't just with kind of the advice that maybe kind of clinicians are giving people, but it's also looking at um, kind of stuff that's going on in schools, like resources that are made available to young people. And even things like the government's obesity strategy, like it's a very kind of, they're trying to get this one size fits all model, but actually we're not taking into account the impact that some of that public health messaging is having on people with eating disorders. 
And looking at the data, we can see that actually the more that public health messaging is being pushed, the more people are developing eating disorders. And public health would probably say, oh, let's kind of weigh it up in our head. Let's work out what maybe is the causation. It could be something else. And there isn't enough research. But it, it for me, I think there's that whole other kind of educational factor that we need to be thinking about everybody and looking at yeah that early intervention factor making sure that people can get that support when they need it but also moving away from a society where we glorify kind of weight loss and thinness and things like that mm. yeah I, I i completely agree with with both your points i think um the you know, public health really does um it, it like <laughs> I understand it from from the aspect that you know they they see oh obesity is an issue we need to we need to try and um you know go go after this you know it's a, a health risk etc um but like you say I I completely I feel like almost almost like it, it seems so much um it seems so bad for people with eating disorders it's almost like they did it on purpose I know they didn't but like it, sometimes you see it and it's like that's almost like tailor made to like make me feel worse about my eating disorder I, the the thing about um all calories have to be displayed on every food item on a menu um, that, that came out a, a while ago. Like that is a terrifying thing for someone who has to deal with an eating disorder. But I think also it's, it's, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like we know that if you start kind of obsessing and calorie counting one in five people who do that will go on to develop an eating disorder. And like whilst dieting doesn't cause an eating disorder, there is so much correlation between actually the amount of people who go on a diet who then go on to develop an eating disorder. Mm. And I've had this even in the last kind of three days, I've had this sheer frustration and you're probably all relieved you don't live with me. Um, but I just seeing all of this diet stuff constantly on social media and you're just like, this is ridiculous. Like we're coming out of lockdown, like hopefully. And the first thing people think about when it comes to the roadmap is, oh, how can I lose X amount of weight? And again, it's, it's just not, it's just not right. Mm. What's, what's your side of this, Mark? How do you feel about it all? Oh, where can I start? Well, I, th I, I, I just think that there's the obesity message or the obesity campaign that that the government have got really does not at all take into consideration eating disorders in any way, shape, or form. In my opinion, and the one thing that we know is that the the health risks of people being severely underweight are exactly the same as people being very, very overweight. And I think one of the things that, that you were talking about there, Hope, was just really making me think about the, you know, the thin ideal and the praise and the, you know, the kind of the the the, the praise and the the accolade that people that are you know kind of doing um, high intensity training that go out there and they run and they feel the burn the no pain no gain all of that i think there's so much overlay on that to say you are an excellent person you are really achieving um and it, it's just it, it's just such a, a skewed message um because again you know some of the young people that i've worked with i've worked with athletes i've worked with you know kind of netball players um i've even worked with some some um coaches and nutritionists that themselves are struggling with eating disorders and it's and it's almost like 
that 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 way of being becomes a real part of their identity in a real way of kind of finding that sense of 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 pride and sense of you know people cheerleading for them because they're doing so well and it's just it the message just drives me mad because it does steer people directly into um, into our services as a result of that and just hope what you were talking about the um the um the campaign, the government campaign, where they where they're weighing children in schools. Can't quite remember what what that's about, really. But um, I guess affectionately known in with families that come to us, it's called the fat letter. When um, you know all of these kids are weighed, and because they, you know, because they're actually above a certain weight that somebody decided is is unhealthy, then families are getting letters to say, you know, your your child actually needs to be um, losing weight. And and you know, I've got some kids in the service that are struggling with eating disorders that have. Received that letter to say that your child actually is overweight, and it's such a damaging message, and it's a blanket bombing approach, and it is just so unhelpful. Um, oh, you can probably gather I've, I rage about this no end with my colleagues, but but it's just it's just something that's so so easily sent out there. You know, it's it's just like a spark that starts a forest fire potentially. And we need to we need to do something with it because. You know, I, th- I think the, the the fat shaming that is currently happening um, is is just unbelievably dangerous, um, and I, I I despair. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, and um, again, I agree. I agree with you both. And obviously, starting my mind's the whole the idea of the you know the fitness pushing and, and you, know, you have to work hard and and train hard and never never miss a day you know no, no days off all, all this stuff it it's literally you know some some of the biggest like correlations with disordered eating are basically just pushed in social media and, and by like government policies and things you know weight and shape concern is one of the biggest correlations so you know being concerned about how much you weigh and how, what what shape your body is and then everything's talking about being summer body ready and all that stuff and then you know rigidity is one of the most the highest correlations with the disordered eating and with exercise addiction, which is really strongly associated with eating disorders. And everyone's talking about how oh, you have to have no days off. You have to have your plan. You have to stick to it. It's, it's like, it's like breeding. It's like, it's like, it's almost done on purpose. It's just, it's um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. The, the level um, that these things seem to go to. And you know what, George, what you've just described there is so much similar to what other uh, young people describe to me as being their eating disorder voice in their head. All yeah. of the things that you've said there are the things that an eating disorder voice in, in, inside somebody's head says to them, or at least that's what young people have shared with me. It's so similar. Yeah. It's almost and, like you've been in the room when young people have described that to me. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a carbon copy of the same voice that goes in every, that's put into everyone's head in the fitness community, in the gym community, in the athletic community. You know, and that's that's the reason why I, I started my minds because I was just like this this isn't right like people I do, I do, I, I kind of want to ask both of you quickly I want to move on to our community questions but um you know the the Maya minds message is that that idea of you know this athletic fitness community um basically seems to be breeding these these issues and I kind of just want to know do you both agree with that do you do you think that's the case yeah I, I definitely do I think um yeah, I think it is. It's it's frustrating. And I think quite often, again, on social media, we look at people and we just assume that they've got it totally together. Or we think that if we eat what they eat or if we work out how they work out, that we're going to look exactly the same. And firstly, like you're not like we're all totally different. We're all so unique. 
and yeah it, it just frustrates me I think and I think a lot of those people who do share a lot of that kind of unhealthy fitness messaging are probably actually also struggling with eating disorders as well and and they're not going to come out and say that they're just going to kind of keep doing what they're doing and I think that's what's been really scary actually over the last year with COVID is more and more people popping up like this who are kind of so-called influencers who just giving this really dangerous message and actually if you don't if you don't follow Rini McGregor I would encourage you to look at actually her she's someone who she's absolutely brilliant kind of talks a lot about kind of uh, fitness like running eating disorders and kind of cuts to all of that rubbish that's out there but also highlights people who are just giving a really dangerous message and actually a lot of the work I do in schools particularly at the moment kids are kind of coming up with these ideas around dieting or things they've been told and Again, it's, I remember actually, so last night, actually, I had a pizza and I was thinking about it when I was having it. And I was thinking to myself, I've grown up where we've been told you cannot eat a whole pizza, where if you eat a whole pizza, you've got to do X amount of exercise or you just, well, yeah, you just don't do it. And I'm like, but why don't I do it? And I started to really think about it and be like, why well, I don't do it because I'm told not to do it, but that's ridiculous. And again, it's that whole kind of fitness influencer messaging that's just, yeah, fueling all of that sort of stuff. So I do think it needs to start being called out mm-hmm. and being done in such a way where we can then start to actually hold people to account for their messaging. And whether that is, I don't know, I'm just now going off on a massive tangent, but like <laughs> I'm not sure if you've seen, um, recently they had a no filter campaign on Instagram and kind of showing, yeah, showing kind of actually the fact that we shouldn't be advertising makeup unless it's actually doing what it says. And there was an amazing woman who actually started talking about this and really calling it out as well. And I was thinking, actually, that's the kind of thing you need to do with the fitness industry. Like we shouldn't have influencers online sharing stuff if maybe they are constantly obsessing over exercise, if they're not giving themselves rest days if they're injured if females don't have their periods all of that sort of stuff like we need to we need to have that kind of upfront honesty I think mm, I, I agree Mark what do you think totally in, and indeed um, I've got a, a close friend of mine who um, during lockdown um, then decided that she wanted to um, become a fitness coach and nutritionist and she's um, she's she's done a six-month course she's now set herself up as a nutritionist and a trainer and um again she hope i'm i'm really what you've just said there is kind of what my friend has turned into she is putting posts up now saying that you can lose fitness you can lose fat for life um if you want to feel great come with me we can do these exercise routines and it really is i just sat there and i just listened to it with real sadness Mm. that that the messages that the, the be happy message is being attached to lose body fat. Mm. And for me, that is just so not useful. Um, and, and, you know, the way that she was selling it, she was very convincing and, it, and she really did a good job with a PR on it. And I just, just sat there thinking and wondering about how many vulnerable young people may hear that message and, and then sign up to her teaching and training. And she's also offering offering sort of nutritional advice and meals and, and, and all of those kinds of things as well. Um, and part of me has wondered, is she in a position where she is able to properly, properly give that advice? Because I also know, as you said, Hope, this this girl has also had um, a history of, of eating disorders in her, in her late teens. And so there was part of wondering whether, whether you know, the, the lens that she was looking through and offering this information was truly as, as kind of independent or was it slightly skewed towards some of her own 
um, issues and difficulties and struggles. Um, and I, I've, won- I've really wondered what I'm going to do with this. Do I, you know, I've, I'm really in a quandary as to whether do I contact her? Do I talk to her about it? Do uh, And so I can't, I'm kind of finding myself in a really tricky position with it, to be fair. Yeah, it is. It is it's... Yeah, I don't really have an answer. Like, I feel like I, I agree with you. It's tricky because I think as well, especially if someone like person, just myself, like when I was kind of in my, you know, at my worst, my eating disorder and, and you know, my, my, I've, I suppose mine was kind of like muscularity oriented disordered eating. Um, mm. If you had approached me and said, oh, what I think you're doing is disordered eating, I'd have been like, oh, maybe I've, I've read up on it. Like, I, I know this, like, you know, I, and, and I hope I, I imagine you agree with me here. Like, um, and, and Mark, I imagine you do too. But when, when someone has an eating disorder and, and is you kind of controlling their diet and what, whichever way that that they are, um, often you do have a sense they or that the person has a sense of like this is right, like I know what I'm talking about, I understand this, I control it, it's it's my thing, so to speak, you know. So you, how are you going to question it? Yeah, and I do think as well, like when you when you want to do something, like maybe your friend Mark, like it's you can find you can basically justify what you're doing if you google something on the internet you're going to find one paper or one piece of research that's done that maybe backs up your argument within it and everyone's got an agenda out there like everyone does and it's like kind of whittling that out and being like actually can you look at it from a space where you can be quite objective like objective to it um and i think as well what's i think what is really interesting so i um well, I think it's interesting, um, is that I uh, recently, kind of last summer, like changed the gym that I was going to because the gym that I was going to was constantly kind of pushing the kind of fat loss, weight loss, everything. And I was finding it really frustrating. And um, so I kind of was like, I need to re, I need to reframe my mindset and check like that I'm working out for the right reasons. And um, the gym that I now go to is very much kind of like that holistic approach to kind of bringing in mental health, like basically being like, you can be healthy at every single size. And um, I always remember probably, I don't know, when we were allowed to do stuff, um, one of the PTs actually said to me, oh, it's really interesting because quite a lot of the people that you're seeing on Instagram, who you're like, oh, like their body looks amazing or they look like this or whatever, or they've had this kind of fat loss, weight loss journey. Um, most of those people, if you look at the pictures, will the photo will be taken at a certain angle anyway. So they'll be able to kind of put themselves in a position to make themselves look like they've had more of a journey, but also they'll be kind of water loading. So having loads of water retention beforehand. And the third thing is that actually most of those people are probably naturally, arguably, having something genetic, which makes them look that way. And I think we can't, yeah, we, we need to move away from just generally that whole comparison thing and realize that when you're looking at stuff like social media and all of these fitness types and everything, like it's just not giving you the whole story actually. Mm. Yeah. I, this, this I, I need to kind of move on to the community questions because I did promise people I'd answer their, their questions with both of you, but this actually is quite a nice transition because we're talking about this, this kind of training. And um, I'm wondering if, if you have any advice for, for personal trainers, because the first question is that um, this person is a personal trainer that I've spoken to and, um, they they said that they see people all the time that they're worried about possibly having an eating disorder or possibly over-exercising as part of an eating disorder. Um, and they, they kind of asked, how do I approach the conversation to ho- to offer help? And where do I signpost if they do accept it? So, you know, how does someone start that conversation? Like, how do you prep yourself for it? What do you say? And then, you know, where do you signpost? I think it goes back to the question of being curious, um, you know, and I think it, you, if you are, 
if you are seeing somebody who you, you are wondering whether they have an eating disorder or not, I think the first the first thought that the first thing that's triggered that thought in your head is that you think that they're not okay. And so I think in a way, I I think there needs to be maybe um as you were just saying there hope i think that the, the culture within the gym is something that's really important because I, I think you know you can have if your gym has got a culture of uh of kind of you know high activity weight loss those kind of things and kind of like the, the physical aesthetics i think that maybe there needs to be something in that gym that of, of kind of changing the whole culture around it um and so i'd, I'd be really interested to know how the the um how hope your new gym kind of manages things like this because it sounds like there's a whole there's a whole awareness there around around mental illness and, and, and mental wellness and well-being and so and so i think you know for just just thinking about the personal trainer i, th- I think maybe build into some the, the kind of the training schedule some some things like check-in sessions where it's not just all about it's not just all about weight performance you know kind of and, and their goals maybe as a trainer have some goals yourself that you kind of build into everybody that you work with which is and as part of the as part of our training sessions and as part of the overall work that we're doing i'm going to be making sure that i can check in with you and so that we can kind of see how you're doing see how see how things are working for you from a, from a from an overall health point of view so it's almost like build that right into the work right at the beginning when you first sit down with somebody and you kind of go so what are your goals i think if you as a personal trainer can add that in that and this is something that we'll do as well is looking at your overall well-being i'll build it in so that part of the part of the check-in that we're going to do is about how are you doing are you okay because i think in some ways that will then set up whoever whoever you're training it then almost builds in the permission that you then can ask about that and so that it's not something that then just comes out of the blue um, that they're not expecting. So, so that's what I would do is build it right into that initial first consultation. That the, and this is something that we, we do as a matter of course with everyone, because then that then breaks away that kind of I've singled you out. Because I think some 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 people may find that personally quite worrying. It's a I don't know. Some may absolutely welcome it, um, but there may be some that kind of would feel that that quite threatening. So if you build in right at the beginning, that would be my recommendation. That's a really I think that's a really good idea. Um, Hope, what do you think? Yeah, reminding people why they're doing stuff as well, and I think it's it's about checking in on things like energy levels and concentration and rest days and all of that sort of stuff kind of yeah doing that regular checkup I think is really important and I think as well just with gyms actually maybe it is also kind of thinking about what resources they have out there so in your gym do you send what are the updates you're sending out on a week-to-week basis like what kind of messaging are you pushing as a gym and are you able to have leaflets on eating disorders and leaflets questioning people on that kind of exercise obsession as well and actually trying to, I guess, call people out on that as well. I think, and I think for I think for PTs as well, it, it's hard because they they're kind of thrown into this minefield without really having the training or education around it, which is definitely not their fault. It's just how things are at the moment, or just generally, actually. Mm-hmm. But I think it is them um, actually where possible, whether a personal trainer can link in with a wider team. Um, and have more dialogue around that I think would be really helpful particularly if someone is still in treatment Um, the thing that I think is really important though within all of this and within gyms within general exercise is actually we cannot stop people with eating disorders exercising 
And I personally don't think that is a solution in recovery. I think we need to find a way to reintegrate exercise into people's lifestyle and doing it in that safe and healthy way. And yes, that might mean having a period of time where you don't exercise, or if you are maybe falling into the underweight bracket, actually that point, yes, you need to be more mindful, but actually it is about working with the individual to get them to understand the kind of science behind exercising and the research and everything like that. Mm, yeah and i think i think both of them are, are brilliant points and, and you know for people who are personal trainers out there or who work in a gym i think they're things that can really be integrated you know make that that whole environment you know dip, not only and obviously people are going to the gym to change their weight and shape a lot of the time and you know maybe for marketing terms you need to show that but i think i think actually you'll get more people in and you'll actually have more success if you focus on that in like holistic well-being of people, you know, helping them achieve their physical goals as being a gym, but also, you know, bringing in that well-being, that idea, you know, your sense of self, the, you know, how you feel, your energy levels, your concentration is hope. So I think that's a really important thing. And the last part of that question was where, where do we, where should I signpost people to if they do, you know, say that they want some help with eating disorders? I think having a list of charities and organizations is always really helpful. Um, one that I absolutely love is um, an organization called Chasing the Stigma, who have an app called the Hub of Hope app. And you just type your postcode in it and it comes up with a load of, yeah, kind of resources and things as well. And I think on the exercise factor as well, it's, it is looking at what people may be specializing in that area. If you've got, I know not everyone can afford this sort of kind of, I guess, extra support, but if you can and you want to invest in yourself a bit more, actually looking at whether there's a dietitian that you can see or someone who actually deals with exercise obsession as well. Mm. Mark, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I was just going to, I was just going to more or less say exactly the same hope, which is, which is make sure that there is a list of organizations and um, out there that they're able to tap into. Um, and along the lines of, of what you were just saying hope about making sure that there's leaflets out there or there's information available with regard to eating disorders um i think um there there are some really useful information in um from beat um as a the, the national eating disorders charity um and we can probably leave some details for that at the bottom of the, this episode if you want um but certainly they've got um they've also got some information and some guidance for uh coaches and sports coaches um they've already got leaflets produced for that as well so there's a double whammy there if you if you approach beats they, they will have information that they could actually send out to um gyms in different places that you could have available um i think for for on on um for people to browse through themselves or indeed if um the if you did approach somebody and they asked you directly for for help the, there's information that you've actually hand out to, to people yourselves and so beat is a really excellent resource for that as well Awesome. Thank you. And I will put links in the description for um, a lot of the things we speak about today. So, you know, if you are wanting to, to find out more about these kind of things, make sure you look in the description. Um, second question uh, from one of our community members is, can anyone ever be truly recovered? And if so, how can you tell? I think, Hope, you mentioned this earlier that you believe that um, someone can. Can you elaborate a little bit more for us, please? Yeah. So I, I do believe that people can make a full recovery from an eating disorder. I think it's really really difficult and I think particularly in society it makes it even harder um I think <clears throat> like for me I've I was I would argue that I was fully recovered back um probably five years out of treatment and had this really good kind of three four years where I went traveling like I just chilled out about food and exercise and it wasn't it wasn't an issue 
Um, but after relapsing in 2016, I've, I've definitely been in one of those places where I've kind of coasted along a little bit. And I think I, I've worked out why that happened. Um, and for me, it was around not allowing my weight to get to the weight that it probably should have been, still being a little bit controlling around meals and restaurants and food. Um, and actually a big thing for me within recovery from an eating disorder is actually learning to just really, really start to challenge all of those rules and understanding why you're so afraid of putting on weight and working through the shame and all of that sort of stuff, which I make it sound so easy and I am not 100% recovered yet, but I also think that I'm very, very close to being at that state where I will be 100% recovered. And yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of pushing yourself and challenging yourself and realizing that you're so much more than the eating disorder and that you don't need it to kind of, it doesn't need to be part of your identity. Like you're, you're just enough without it. And I think unpacking that and unpacking, I think like the lies that we often tell ourselves, whether that's society telling us, whether that's stuff that's happened to us growing up. But I, I think, yeah, like for anyone who is listening, it's like, I, I know, I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating. And sometimes it just feels like such a slog but I would just encourage anyone who's at that stage to just really persevere with it because that kind of freedom from an eating disorder, like will just be incredible. Like I'm not there yet, but I know it will be incredible. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Mark, what, what do you think? Can anyone be recovered? I have nothing to add to what Hope has just said there. <laughs> Hope has just completely covered it beautifully. Um, but yes, I, th I think that the, Recovery is 100% possible. Um, and I know that sometimes we hear these figures quoted where, whereas, you know, where they talk in terms of how many people recover, how many people um, live, a, live a life with partial, uh, partial disease and, in, and, and indeed, you know, how many people actually uh, lose their lives. But I, I, but I think, you know, the, the, the message, the message tends to get put out there about it being, you know, this is the, the disease with the highest mortality rates, but, and I know in some ways that can, that can really instill fear. And I, I've, again, um, I, I hear accounts of people saying to me, well, actually, I'm never going to recover from this because I've read all of this information. Um, I, I've, my message would be is that really, you know, it, listen to the listen to the professionals that are working with you on this because again you know if you if you google information that, that can be a real rabbit hole of 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 despair i think sometimes um so what i would say is work with your professionals and 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 when you've not got that sense of hope yourself just be aware that there's other people around you that have got that sense of hope that things are going to be different for you because when you're looking at things from within your eating disorder it's a very, very distorted view and not everybody that's inside their eating disorder actually sees that. Um, so, you know, listen to the professionals that are working around you. And, and if you can't hold that sense of hope, let other people around you hold it for you. Brilliant. Brilliantly put by both of you. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add there. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll go on to our, our final question from the community. Um, and this one, this one's quite an important one, and I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear both of your opinions. Mark, I'll, I'll, I'll put it towards you first. Um, so this person writes that they're they're scared to go to a doctor about their eating disorder, and um, because they're aware that they're not underweight enough, what should they do? 
Um, well, firstly, what I would say is as much as you can challenge that myth that you have in your head about not being underweight enough, there is no such thing as having to be underweight enough to have an eating disorder or indeed for a doctor or a GP to take you seriously. Okay, so let me just tell you that straight away. Eating disorders are not about weight. Then it's not about being under a certain BMI. It's not being, it's not being about under a certain um, weight for height. If you're or under 18 it's about so much so much more than that um so please you know if that's one of the things that's holding you back from going to the gp then please as much as you can challenge that myth for yourself think about all of the other things that are going on for you that make you believe that you have an eating disorder what are the, what are the things that you're struggling with what are the ways in which you're thinking what are the behaviors that you're struggling with what are some of the fears that you've got that have made you question whether you have an eating disorder or not what I would do is I would write all of those things down. Um, and if that's difficult, if that's difficult for you to do, then talk to somebody who you trust and allow them to write the things down for you. Pop that in a sealed envelope and take it with you to the GP so that the GP gets all of that other information. Um, again, we do hear stories of people going to GPs and the GP saying, actually, you're, you're not underweight enough. Um, but if that is something that you're worried about, maybe even take a friend or a relative or somebody you trust with you that can maybe also tell what they see, also say what they see to the GP too. Mm. Um, and just make sure that the GP or the doctor or, or whoever the professional is that you approach has as much information about the struggles that you have um, and then that will give them much more information to be able to then make the decision and support you to get the next next level of treatment. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Hope, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I guess just to emphasize that, like everyone, yeah, everyone deserves that treatment and deserves to get well. So challenging kind of that understanding in your head as Mark said, I think is really, really important and a really good starting point. I think within that as well, it's kind of remembering that there's no point waiting another day like I know that's easy for me to sit here and say but actually there isn't like there is no better time than to actually start challenging that and recovering um and I think as well something that really helped me actually was when I went to the GP um a couple like I don't know five years ago or whatever um and I appreciate that I'd already been through treatment before at this point so I knew my I always say I know my brain very well. I think I, I think I do. Um, I'm sure therapists would probably disagree with that, but I do think I do. And actually what really helped me then, um, despite the fact I didn't have the best outcome that I wanted, I actually just made a list of things that I wanted to say. So I went in and I was like, I feel like this. I'm struggling with this. This is how long I've been feeling like this. This is what I think I need. And just writing it down just helped me to just go in and just say it very matter-of-factly and to just make sure that I'd got every single thing that I wanted out I think quite often in those situations it it can be like a complete minefield and I know I often go to the GP anyway and I'm like I say something and then like I've gone with all of this stuff I want to say and then I don't actually say any of that stuff so I think writing it down is really important and I think as well whenever you do go to the GP about an eating disorder try and advocate for yourself to get some blood tests as well because sometimes that will show up maybe irregularity the wrong word I'm trying to think of the right word it will just show up something maybe that's not quite right in your blood which um I think is really really important to actually just get that kind of flagged at that point as well um and where possible I think yeah definitely go with someone else to help lobby you for that 
Um, and yeah, finally, as Mark said as well, just have someone potentially afterwards that you, you can talk to and that you can offload onto as well to just have that time. Because I think there's nothing worse than not being able to get what you what you really deserve going home and then scrolling on social media, like going into yourself, withdrawing, and then the eating disorder will kind of feed that competitive mindset. Yeah, just just to add on to that, Hope, you just you just said about making sure that you get blood tests done. And now also there, there is one thing that sometimes can be relied upon is the results of things like blood tests, ECGs, weight, height, those kind of things. Now, there are some there are, there are occasions when blood tests may be taken that they come back as completely normal and fine. ECGs, they may come back as completely normal and fine. That doesn't mean isn't something that's going on for you that you need treatment for because sometimes that is something that i guess the medical profession sometimes relies on as the result of the physical exam physical examinations and tests um so um again you can sometimes be in a really poorly position but your blood's back is okay that doesn't mean to say that you are okay so again, this is why it's important to make sure that you've got somebody with you if needed that is able to advocate for you on your behalf if you're not able to do yourself. Because um, you know that some of the some of the impulsive thinking, some of the drive, some of the rigidity, some you know some of the perspective weight loss, all of you, and none of those things show up in blood tests or ECGs or physical tests. Mm. You, you the decision about your treatment and whether you should be referred on has been made on the basis of just those physical tests. Then challenge that because some because actually there's the you know eating disorders are much more about about what will flag up on a physical test. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um I know we're coming coming to the end now and I just want to say a huge thank you. I said I was nervous at the start. Um, and I definitely shouldn't have been because you two are both so knowledgeable and such excellent speakers. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. And, and this podcast is everything that I wanted it to be and more. So thank you both so much. Um, I hope you had a good time. No, thanks so much for having us. I, I absolutely loved it. I could talk to you guys for hours. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really great. And thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. And um, it's been brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both. And as always, everyone listening at home, thank you so, so much for taking part in this, this conversation and being here with us. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out myminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.